This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Knowledge at Wharton on Business Radio. Here's your host, Dan Loney. One week ago, a jury awarded a South Dakota woman $55 million off a lawsuit alleging that Johnson & Johnson did not fairly warn the woman of potential links between talcum powder and ovarian cancer. An appeal by Johnson & Johnson is forthcoming, but there are more than 1,000 other women apparently ready to follow with their own suits potentially against the drug maker. To discuss the case and its implications, we're joined here in the studio by Bob Field, who's a professor of law and professor of health management and policy here at, Dre- at Drexel University. I should say right next door to us. He's also a lecturer here at Wharton. And also with us on the phone is Dr. Ade- uh, excuse me, Adetunje Toriola, assistant professor of surgery and molecular cancer epidemiologist at the Department of Surgery, Division of Public Health Services, at the Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis, Missouri. Great to have you in the studio, Bob. Thanks very much for coming in. Thanks. Happy to be here. Atunin Jay, great to have you on the phone. Thank you for calling in. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Bob, obviously the headline number that a lot of people are going to see is is that $55 million number, and now it's actually $127 million because there was a, a prior uh, prior incident. Uh, appeals, I would think, are, are obviously the next step in this process by J&J. Clearly. And these could be thrown out or drastically modified on appeal. It's going to take a while to work its way through the system. Uh, in the meantime, of course, as you mentioned, there's over 1,000 women lined up. Nothing succeeds like success. And when yep. you have two verdicts like this, uh, everyone wants to get in on the action. What about the first case in, the, in this one, which was, I think, a, about a $72 million judgment off of a woman down in Alabama, correct? Yeah, actually, there have been three verdicts. Okay, three. The, the first one was a couple of years ago, but they didn't award any money. They okay. just said J&J was negligent. But then there was the $72 million and now the $55 million. Uh, most of that is punitive damages. Uh, the jury said that a few million was the actual loss to the plaintiffs, and then they tacked on tens of millions of dollars as punishment to J&J. In, in terms of the medical aspects of this, I did in J, um, the, the evidence that a lot of articles are, are bringing forward says that the link between uh, ovarian cancer and talcum powder is not for certain, correct? And that, that's correct. And the, way, the weight of the evidence right now is too equivocal. And I would like to qualify that by saying some studies have found an increased risk of ovarian cancer with genital talc powder use, while others have not. And we can actually break it down to the limitations of all the different studies. In epidemiology, we usually have different types of study designs. The most commonly conducted ones, which are the easiest one to conduct, are the case control studies. A few of these have found an increased risk of ovarian cancer with genital talc use. But the most sophisticated ones, which are the cohort studies, two of them have been conducted looking at the impact of talcum powder use and ovarian cancer risk. And these two studies have now found an increased risk of ovarian cancer with talcum powder use. But like I said, the case control studies have been rather consistent. There was a pooled analysis of all the case control studies that have been published over the last 20 years on this topic. This was published two years. And this pooled analysis observed a 24% increased risk of some ovarian cancers with 
genital talc powder use. There is no relationship between non-genital talc powder use and ovarian cancer. It's only with genital talc powder use. And it's not with all types of ovarian cancers because we know that ovarian cancer is divided into several subtypes, at least um, three different major subtypes. And the studies so far, the polled analysis so far found an increased risk with a particular subtype, but not with other subtypes. So it did, in terms of the information and the data that has been brought forward that has had a, a link of some kind to uh, uh, ovarian cancer with talcum powder, uh, did, did Johnson & Johnson basically ignore the information, Bob? Uh, it looks like they did. But um, as was pointed out, it, it is equivocal. Uh, there's no smoking gun at this point. Yeah. Um, they didn't do what the asbestos companies did or the tobacco companies did, which was to actively suppress it. Right. Um, in those cases, you had uh, billions upon billions of dollars in judgment and it bankrupted some of the asbestos companies. Here you have equivocal evidence that they ignored, but they didn't actively try to suppress it. So the big question in these suits, or the reason for the punitive damages is, should they have put a warning right. based on this equivocal data? And legally, th- there's no clear answer to that because the data is so uncertain. Are we at a point, uh, G that, that we need to have a, a greater uh, investigation in terms to uh, the links or not, not having a link between, uh, between the talcum powder and, and, uh, and ovarian cancer? Absolutely. That's the, that's the best way to move the field forward now. We've had a few case control studies, like I said, but the most definitive evidence will come from a trial. But of course, it's not ethical to conduct a trial because what you have is an agent that you think causes harm. Nobody will conduct a randomized trial assigning women to talc powder use and not to talc powder use and following them over time. So that's out of the question. But the next logical step is actually to conduct a big cohort study that you do not assign the agents, but you just follow people over time who have used this product and you compare their rates of ovarian cancer to other women who have not used this product. That's going to be where we have our ultimate evidence. What does the ju- these two couple of judgments, Bob, mean for these potential other suits? Kind of alluded to that seemingly now the door is kind of open for these other suits to come forward, correct? The door is definitely open, and you have uh, scores of attorneys advertising and trying to get plaintiffs, uh, yeah. sort of uh, visions of the next asbestos out there. Uh, a lot is going to depend on what appeals courts do. If, if these get thrown out, I think that's going to put a big damper on this. I think the biggest threat to J&J is not the money involved, because $127 million is a lot to you or me, uh, but it's not a lot to a multi-billion dollar company. Pocket change. Uh, Yeah, especially one that's paid out billions of dollars in settlements uh, to resolve government enforcement actions. Um, The issue is the reputation. Uh, We have baby powder. What could be more wholesome than that? And that's the way J&J has built his reputation on these basic household uh, feel-good, uh, nurturant products, and if you can't trust those, what can you trust? Well, and, and obviously the, one of the other potential concerns that you could see playing out down the line is, okay, if this has some sort of effect on women and potentially some level of link to ovarian cancer, this is going to be you know, sought out as to whether or not this links to other aspects 
uh, of use with with babies. You know, I mean, it, you can see how this could formulate really quickly. Yeah, well, people will be looking for every possible link from talc. But so far, and please uh, correct me if, if I'm wrong, um, it, it seems like the only two links we found are in minors who inhaled it, and, and that was generally when it was mixed in with asbestos and this general use. Uh, I don't think we found other connections. On the other hand, if there's any possibility of it being a carcinogen, who's going to use it on their baby? Sure, yeah. The right. dead uh, that That's very correct. The only two evidence so far is in relation to lung cancer among minors, and this possibly in ovarian cancer. And that's why the International Agency for the Research on Cancer, which assigns whether an agent is carcinogenic or not, and labeled talc powder as possibly carcinogenic to humans in 2006. And these agents that are classified as possibly carcinogenic are those where you have inadequate evidence of carcinogenicity in humans, but there is sufficient evidence in experimental animals. So what this means is that even in experimental animals, it can cause cancer, but the evidence in humans is still not sufficient enough. I would like to say that there's very few studies on other cancer sites, as Rob has mentioned. And the important thing to also take into consideration is that it's thought that most of the women who probably developed ovarian, I mean, the women who developed ovarian cancer as a result of talc powder use may have used the previous formulations of talc powder that contain asbestos. Okay. The newer formulations do not contain asbestos, so there are still no studies that have looked at these newer formulations because these studies take a long time because cancers obviously take a long time to, to happen. Most cancers have a latent period of 10 to 20 years from the initial initiation. So even if somebody uses now, it's going to take 20 years from now before we actually have definitive answers. So then what do you see, uh, uh, G, uh as the responsibility at this point of, of some of the federal agencies that might be involved in this process? Well, I think, first of all, we need more data, more hardcore data from prospective studies that they are going to follow women over time. That's the first thing um, we can do. And second, I think it's still important to defer to the judgment of the international agencies that assign carcinogenicity to um, agents, and that's the International Agency for, for Cancer Research, the American Association for Cancer Research, and the American Cancer Society. Obviously, most of these things are evolving. As we gather more evidence, we have more knowledge, and what was not cancer-causing agent in the past could eventually be labeled one. But at this point in time, with the available data, we don't. We are not at that level yet. So we need more data from prospective cohort studies. Well, and, and I would think that that uh, it almost requires almost a, a lifetime of research over somebody. I mean, you're talking about, you know, something that it could potentially start with a, a young girl when she is a baby, an infant, and used obviously at that point, and then maybe used later on in, in her life. So that type of research, you're talking about 40, 50 years that, that realistically you need to look at this, this, this type of data. Yes, that's right. But the good thing is there's some data that have been collected in the past that could potentially provide um, such data. But like you said, it still takes, it's not, it's not something that would happen now. It's something that would happen over the next um, few years in future. 
Bob? So one thing J&J has to consider is that there's an alternative to talc, which is cornstarch-based yeah. uh, powders, yep. uh, which have been shown, at least so far, to be perfectly safe. And I think their executives have to be thinking about whether they're going to switch to a cornstarch-based formula to just avoid the issue altogether going forward. Um, I could see, you know, Gold Bond advertising, uh, sure. no talc, never any talc. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're the now we're the ones you should trust. Uh, <laughs> in terms of uh, of the formula, though, what does that change in terms of the the formulas that have been used to going to a cornstarch formula? Does that does that change the product in any way, shape, or form? Um, I, I can't speak to that, yeah. but it, it it one risk for them is that it could be seen as an admission. Right. Uh, you know, why are they suddenly switching it now? Right. It, it, I, I totally agree that. From a preventive point of view, it's much safer to go to, to alternatives that we know do not cause any problems. That that makes total sense. <laughs> well, and as, you, as, as Bob mentioned, that would be, in some respects, a little bit of an admission by those companies that the type of talcum that they had been, been promoting and marketing did have some sort of an effect at that point, right? It didn't you? Well... Uh, maybe I'm not such an expert on that, but I, I think it's just safer to go for something where we know doesn't cost arm. Well, it's, it could be an admission that, well, maybe what we've had so far, we really don't trust it that much. So it's better to go with something that we trust. I think it's, it's better to go that route. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question. We're talking about the talc lawsuit from last week. Uh, $55 million awarded to a South Dakota woman uh, that uh, the jury awarded her in the fact that uh, they viewed a potential link between talcum powder and ovarian cancer. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. I guess that's the other piece to get into is, is that this data, which a lot of people and you both have said is, is inconclusive to some point, Bob, uh, this is being used in court cases as fact, and it's relying on a jury to basically put forth a decision on data which could be at some point inconclusive. Yeah, this is the big failure of using the jury system to resolve these cases. Uh, you have uh, uh, 10 or 12 uh, lay people, generally without any scientific training, uh, trying to understand studies that are inconclusive and that Adita G and, and others are spending their careers trying to parse out. Um, the problem is you have to resolve the case. And the yeah. legal, either the plaintiffs get money or they don't. And if they don't, there might be unfairness there. And if they do, there might be unfairness that way. So what do you do in terms of uncertainty? This it should be now a job for the regulators, right. for the FDA, uh, for Congress, first of all, to give the FDA more authority to regulate cosmetics, and then for the FDA to be looking at the risks of talc, to be working with NIH to fund studies, uh, to be figuring out... Um, how to uh, regulate the use by women going forward. But this is a topic that's kind of been out there now for, you know, a couple of decades at least. It's been out there, but so have dozens of other yeah. issues. And there are a lot of consumer products out there that may be dangerous or are dangerous. And and the other issue, is, as I was saying, is that the FDA has limited authority over cosmetics. It has yeah. strong authority over drugs. It has somewhat less authority over foods. And it is the regulator of cosmetics, but it has very little authority there. So I think if we're going to get into this is going to require some legislation. Dadenji, would you like to see that as well? Maybe an increased presence by the FDA? Yes, I, I totally agree on that. 
844-942-7866 is the number. Go ahead, Bob. One other really basic problem with the legal system for these cases is even if you show that talc causes uh, ovarian cancer, you don't know whether it caused it for these particular plaintiffs. Right. And yeah. you've got genetic susceptibilities and other environmental exposures and factors yeah. we don't even understand. Um, so we have been giving them the benefit of the doubt. But just because it can cause cancer doesn't mean it did cause these particular cancers. That's, that's, and that's a very good point because, like I said, even with the studies that show that talc increases the risk of ovarian cancer, these studies have shown that talc increases the risk of only a type of ovarian cancer called the serious type. Although the serious types are the most common subtypes, but it still doesn't increase the risk of other types like the mucinous um, ovarian cancers. So there is no reason to... I, I'm not a privy to the type of ovarian cancer that this um, plaintiff had, but if it's not serious ovarian cancer, then there's very little evidence to link, to link talc with that and the other types of cancer. That's one. Two, there are many other risk factors for ovarian cancers that need to be put into consideration because cancer just it's not just one thing that causes cancer. It's a constellation yep. of many other factors working together. And even if somebody has used talc powder for maybe a few days, that would never increase the risk of ovarian cancer. It takes consistent long-term use for these things to actually increase the risk of cancer. You're talking like like 10 to 15 years, I would think, or, or even longer, correct? Possibly, possibly. And it, it's got to be consistently over a long time, yes. So uh, getting back to the, the legal and, and business implications of yeah. this, uh, one thing that looks very bad for Johnson & Johnson is the indications from the data that we do have are that the risk is particularly heightened among African-American and Hispanic women. Yeah. And um, they are heavy users of talc in this in, – in, uh, uh, genital ways, and J&J promoted that use among this population. So it certainly looks like they were singling out a, a minority group. And that would be the, the area where, obviously, in this case and, and the case before that, that they are found negligent in the fact that they are promoting it to a specific segment of the population. Uh, not just negligent, but almost intentional, yeah. that, that they were just a, a completely rough riding and, and ignoring the evidence because they saw a potentially lucrative market. So it, it looks bad for the jury, and it's one of the reasons that they tacked on these huge punitive damages. What is it specifically about those segments of the population that, that seemingly have a higher susceptibility? Um, I, I would leave that to Anita Jod. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it's not really known yet, but we know that ovarian cancer, one of the risk factors for ovarian cancer are reproductive history, the reproductive experience of, of women, and also the use of um, birth control and other things. So it's likely and it's possible that women of African-American descent have a different reproductive history compared to non I mean, to Caucasian women. And also, it's also important to take into consideration the family history of ovarian and breast cancer. Those who have a family history of ovarian and breast cancer have a higher risk of developing ovarian cancer. So all these things need to be taken into consideration before you actually and say that, okay, this is what is responsible for this individual case. And, and unfortunately, probably in many cases, a lot of people, you know, the second and third generation passed 
where the disease may have been, they don't necessarily think of that link right off the bat. You know, they don't think a lot of times of the history of the of the medical conditions within their family when they're using a product. It's not that initial thing they think of, which ends up being a problem at D&G. That's true. That's true. And I think probably one of the things that Bob's talking about with regards to targeting African-American is we know that obesity is likely to increase the risk of ovarian cancer. And I guess a lot of people who use these stock products, especially to the genital areas, probably use it to reduce friction and other things. So maybe that's why they're targeted to these people. So it's, um, I would like to say that well, it's almost like an indication Well, you need this product to reduce itching from, you know, but then again, surreptitiously, those are, those people are by genetic, I mean, by reproductive history, I had a higher risk of ovarian cancer to start with. 844-942-7866 is the number if you'd like to jump in and ask a question. Uh, and Dan G, one of the pieces to this obviously is uh, linked through uh, the defense uh, in this uh, case is the research, I guess, done by a Michael Kramer at Boston's Brigham and, and Women's Hospital. And his data talked about a 33% increase in ovarian cancer. That data being put out there, and, and Mr. Kramer, it's been talked about, is basically being uh, financially supplemented by the uh, by uh, uh, the defendants in this case. Um, that research, how much how much weight do you carry with it? The research is. Um Daniel Kramer has done quite a lot of work on the use of talc and ovarian cancer. And from, as an epidemiologist, most of the studies are, they pass the, the competency test. They are well-conducted tests. But like I said, all tests, I mean, all studies have a potential for bias due to the nature of their studies, uh, of their design. Um, like the last one that was done, it's a case control study. Case control studies, we know that case control studies have a potential for recall bias. That is, what you do in case control studies is you ask people who already have cancer, in this instance, ovarian cancer, and you also ask people without cancer, and you start asking them to recall their exposure to certain events and lifestyles. So for instance, mm -hmm. these people must have been asked about their use of talc. It's been well documented that people, when you, ask, when you conduct this type of studies, people who have cancer or who are the cases tend to recall their past events a little bit differently. And yeah. that, that's, that's normal. But I would like to say that this is an accepted method of conducting epidemiologic studies. That's what we use. Like I said, it's not as good as a core study, but it's well validated and there's nothing wrong with the methodology. Well, um, one thing that makes this particularly difficult is that ovarian cancer, as horrible as it is, is still a fairly rare disease. Yeah. So yeah. if you're increasing the risk by a third, say, of something that you're very unlikely to get to begin with, you're not going to have a huge pool of patients sure. to follow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so teasing out um, what the causal factors are in this small increment um, is you know a, a particular challenge. Not that it isn't horrible if someone does get cancer from using talc, yeah. but it makes the job that much harder. And as Adidaji said, you can't do the gold standard controlled study. You can't give some women talc and some women nothing and see if they develop cancer. Yeah. Um, you have to look back at records which are often uh, unreliable. What's your expectation then with the with the couple of cases that have had 
uh, financial judgments to them. Obviously, with appeals going up mm-hmm. online, you can't tell what a court's going to say. But obviously, this is going to be carried up, up, and uh, further up the chain in the in the uh, in the judicial system. And then with the other thousand or so women that are out there that that are waiting in line to potentially bring a suit forth. One thing I'm sure they're doing in the corporate offices of Johnson & Johnson right now is trying to cost out some sort of financial facility to pay off the claims like they yeah. did for asbestos and just write that off as a cost of doing business um, as opposed to letting this linger in the courts and risking more bad publicity, uh, which has a huge cost to it as well. So my guess is they're going to see how the appeals work out. Yeah. If they don't go in their favor, uh, they're going to try to buy out these cases as fast as they can. But they're already in the in the process of formulating what that might be right now while these are going through the court system. Well, if I were there, that's what I would be doing. Yeah. And Data NG, what do you expect to see happen with this going forward? Well, I expect people to actually look deeper into prospective data now to see whether we can actually find prospective data to look into this evidence more carefully. That's I think that will be the most responsible thing to do right now because people deserve to know what the true picture is. And that can only be done by actually looking at prospective studies, well-conducted prospective studies with a large number of ovarian cancer cases where information on TAC use had been collected. This will provide us with the information that we need. Whether this is available as of now, I'm not sure, but I'm sure people are beginning to start looking into it or even pull data together. Thank you, Adetanji. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Bob, great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thanks. You, uh, happy to be here. You got it. Dr. Adita G. Toriola from uh, Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri. Bob Field from Drexel University uh, just down the street from us. Great to have him here in the studio as well. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.